This is a very special day um, as in our series that we've been doing. This, this quarter we're talking about discipleship and the fact that evangelism and discipleship really work together. In the Great Commission, Jesus coupled those two things. He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's how we win souls. But then he told us that we're to teach them to observe the things that he has taught us. In other words, teach them what I've taught you so that they can teach somebody else. That's discipleship. And he told us to do this beginning at Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. For us, it would be right here in Augusta. And it would stretch on out to, to uh, our city and the counties surrounding us and out beyond that to the state and regions beyond and then to the ends of the earth. And uh, we want to do that. And so uh, last Sunday, I sort of finished up talking about, uh, I gave you three laws last, year, last week on giving and how, they, how we function and the importance of generosity and the importance of giving in the kingdom of God. And I finished up with talking about the importance of sacrifice. And I want to use the same text that I used last week, and I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the law of sacrifice. And from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, there is one who scatters yet increases. In other words, he sacrifices, he gives, but he increases. God blesses him to have increase. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Now, this, is, this doesn't work in the world system, or, or they don't understand it, I should say, in the world system. But this is a kingdom principle because God sees everything that we do, and God takes note of everything that we give, and God plays rich rewards and benefits. Can somebody say amen? But I want you to, I want to remind you, first of all, that God the Father himself sacrificed his son. How many of you are thankful for that? He sacrificed his son. The golden text of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sacrificed the crown jewel of heaven so that you and I could have salvation. And then Jesus sacrificed his life. Look what Paul said in Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus had to make a decision after he came to this world. In heaven, he was very God. But when he took on the form of a man, he was very God and very man. And by robing himself in human flesh, he knew from experience everything that we know about life. He learned what suffering was. He learned what sorrow and grief was all about. And he made a decision that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus agonized and prayed with such agony until his sweat took on a purplish hue 
and like great drops of blood dropped to the ground beneath him as he agonized and said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He had to make a decision. He could save himself. He could have done that. I don't care how many Roman soldiers came after him. Jesus told Simon Peter, don't you realize that I could presently, right now, momentarily, I could call on the heavenly father and he would send 12 legions of angels. 72,000 angels were standing on the battlements of glory and I believe with drawn swords just waiting for the beckon call of Jesus. And they would, have, they would have swept down from the jewel-decked throne of glory to this earth and they would have wiped out the Roman army and set Jesus free. But Jesus had to make a decision. He could save himself. But if he saved himself, he could not save you and me. Or he could save you and me. But if he saves you and me, he could not save himself. And so he chose a decision, a choice. He chose to sacrifice his life so that you and I could have life, eternal life, and life more abundantly. Anybody thankful for that today? Give Jesus praise for that. So the question that I want to pose to you this morning is what will you sacrifice? What are you willing to give? You know, in the early church, the members of the early church sacrificed. They saw the sacrifice of Jesus and they were willing to sacrifice as well. In Acts chapter 4 verses 34 and 35, it says, there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those who had need. They had a a mindset. It was part of the culture of the early church. They just said, whatever's needed that we have, we're willing to give it. It doesn't matter what it is. There's no sacrifice for us. It's too great. They sold their homes. They gave everything so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forward. They were even persecuted for their faith. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 to 6, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness and all the persecutions and hardships that you're suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. You know, the fact is we're here this morning because of the long thread of sacrifice that goes all the way back to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus himself on the cross of Calvary, the early church and all of those that followed that were willing to sacrifice to get the gospel to us. We all stand on the shoulders of somebody else. The generations before us, they were willing to sacrifice. In the 16th century, in a tiny village in Nuremberg in Germany, There lived a family, it was a large family. In fact, they had 18 kids. How many of you like to live in a house with that? 18 brothers and sisters. The elder, the father worked hard, 18 hours a day. I guess that's an hour per kid, isn't it? (laughs) He worked 18 hours a day to try to provide for his family. And it was all he could do to, to keep bread on the table. Two of the boys in that family were very gifted in art. 
They could draw anything. They could paint. They could carve. They could mold. They could, you, you name it, and they just, their imagination, they could just, they could just do it. They were gifted. But these bo- two boys, as they grew up, realized that their dad would never be able to send either one of them to the art school in Nuremberg. And so they talked about it a lot. They talked about their dreams and their, their hopes and their goals and their ambitions for their artwork. And finally, one night, laying in bed, they were talking about it in the tiny room where they were all scrunched together, kids everywhere. And they, did, they made a decision. They said, here's what we'll do tomorrow. The next day would be Sunday. Tomorrow before we go to church, we're going to flip a coin. And whoever wins the coin toss, the other one will go to work in the mines and put that, put that one through, the one who wins. Put him through art school. And then in four years when he graduates from art school, he will come home and he will go to work in the mines. Or if he's done well with art, if he can sell something, whatever he has to do, but he will work and then the other one will go. These two brothers, one was named Albert and the other was named Albrecht Dumer. And, uh, and so they, they tossed the coins and Albert lost And so Albert went to work in the mines. And for four years he worked while his brother Albrecht went off to art school. And Albrecht, sure enough, was talented. In fact, his talent was noticed right away. And by the time he finished, his artwork was better than any of his professors or his teachers. And it started getting notoriety. In fact, today... His artwork is found in art museums all over the world. But when he graduated, he came back home. And his family gave a great big feast to celebrate his uh, graduation from art school. And of course, having a family of 18 kids, they already had this great big table. But for this particular meal, the celebration meal, they put Albrecht at the head And they put his brother Albert at the other end of the table. And so Albrecht stood up after all of the the compliments and, and praises and gifts that folks brought him and everything was over. And he, he said, I want to pose, I want to propose a toast to my brother Albert at the other end of the table. You see, the reason I was able to graduate from art school was because my brother Albert worked in the mine for these past four years. And he held up his glass and he said, I want to pose a toast to Albert because now I'm home. And Albert, it's your turn to go to art school. And I'll work and you graduate. And Albert sat at the other end of the table with his head down. Tears were flowing. Finally, he gained enough composure to stand up. And he said to his brother, Albrecht, Albrecht, I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy for you. But I won't be able to go to art school. You see, it's too late for me. All of my fingers have been crushed in the mines. The arthritis is set up now in my right hand and I 
I can't even hold the glass to make the toast. It's too late for me. But I'm so proud of you. You go forward, and I'm still your support. And um, like I said, Albrecht's work is seen all over the world. You're probably familiar with the one they're fixing to show here. He just simply named it Hands. But when the public saw it, they immediately referred to it as Praying Hands. It's been seen all over the world. It's not only been seen in this particular drawing that he did, but it's been made into little trinkets that people hang around their necks. It's been made into, into bookends that sit on desks all over the world. Those hands, it is said, are the hands of Albert, his brother. He painted those hands that were crushed and broken so he could spend four years in art school and hone his trade. You see, folks, the fact is all of us are where we are today because somebody sacrificed before us. You saw a great big lineup of men and women this morning who sacrificed so that we could be where we are today. We, we all are the recipients of somebody's sacrifice. My question to you is, what are you willing at this point in your life to sacrifice so that somebody else can receive and go forward? Several years ago, we were having a service like this, and at the end of the service, I was talking about missions, and I was talking about giving. At the end of the service, I made the statement, there's no one in this congregation that can't give something to missions. And as soon as I dismissed, we had about a dozen bridge folks with us that morning, and the bridge folks surrounded Pastor Roger. And they said, Pastor Roger, you've been preaching down here to us for several years now, and you've never received an offering. Well, it never occurred to any of us to receive an offering at the bridge. These are homeless people. But they said to Pastor Roger, we believe that we can build a church in Africa. And so the next Saturday at the bridge service, Pastor Roger had a little box out in front of the cross where the homeless people could come in and he gave them an opportunity to give and they came and dropped in their pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters and that started what has become a continual giving of homeless people in Augusta who have now planted over 20 churches on the mission field okay, give God praise for that But that very first one, that little group that surrounded Pastor Roger, they said, we want to build a church to reach people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus. When Pastor Roger shared that with me, he said, what, where, how, what can we do? Where do we, where do we contact? And I immediately thought of, Dr., uh, of Don Matheny. Pastor Brad helped me connect with Don Matheny and his work in Nairobi in Africa and they were just at that time bushwhacking away through 
into the Sudan in an area where they'd heard of tribes of people. They don't wear clothes or they didn't wear clothes. They just were warring folks. They, they just constantly fought. And you can imagine how short the life expectancy was because kids grew up doing nothing but fighting other tribes of people, killing one another. And they were reaching into that tribe then. And so the first church that the bridge built on foreign soil was this church. They were already reaching into there. And we, the bridge people, paid for that first church. And I I want you to see, uh, this is Don Matheny's daughter that's uh, sharing a little bit of the story. And, of course, it goes off in a direction. And at the end, it offers a, a... uh, DVD that we don't have available this morning. We're trying to get more of them. We've had them in the past. But anyway, I, I want you to just watch the screen, if you will. That's the first one, and, and uh, enjoy. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, the scripture says, I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count, standing before the throne, every tribe, every language, every nation, dressed in white robes, waving palm branches in their hands, and they were singing. It is so the desire of our heart to be a part of seeing that dream, God's ultimate dream, come to pass. A few years back, Pastor Don and Miss Amy really had it in their hearts to plant our own among the nations, specifically the nation of Sudan. And so we've got several of our members, Silas and Christine, Ryle and Deritu, who've been serving in different places in Sudan. At the beginning of this year, Deritu came home for a visit and he brought some footage, some videos of the Kachipo people in Mayun. And we were able to hear some of the songs that they're singing. Now these people three years ago had never heard the name of Jesus until we as NLC decided to partner together with International Aid Sweden and plant a church in South Sudan. We were so impacted when we heard this music and we were so excited because it has been such a desire of our hearts to capture the song of Africa and to think that these people who had never heard the name of Jesus before were now writing their own songs about him in praise to him. At the end of March, we had an incredible opportunity. Myself, my sister Anna, and one of our sound guys, Mche, the three of us were able to go in and connect with Nderitu and the team on the ground in Mayun, and we were actually able to record an album of their praise and worship songs. I cannot even begin to tell you what an amazing experience it was. I mean, from just the technical side of setting up a studio in the bush, no electricity, no water, uh, we flew in a generator to be able to power our equipment. The people that we worked with were aged 7 to about 20 or so, and they were so great. I remember one of the songs that really stood out to me. In English, it says, we thank God for all of the gifts he's given us. We thank God for all of the gifts he's given us. We thank God for Godfrey, which is Nderitu's first name. We thank God for Abuna, which is their word for pastor. Then they start saying, you know, we thank God for the airplane. We thank God for the car. We thank God for the school. And this is like their Sunday morning kicking praise song that's just hit in their church. And it's so exciting. They're so genuine. They're so real. Not only as far as Christian music, we're the first people to ever record this tribe. I mean, that's so exciting. We're making history. And to think that this people that were once in darkness the first time the world is ever going to hear their voices is when they're praising 
it's so powerful that the enemy has been defeated and the sound that we're hearing coming out of the nations is praise to God. One of the days we were there, we were able to walk into the Kachipo village. Now the compound that Deritu and his team are on are about a 10 minute walk away from the village. So we were able to go in and the difference between the compound where the school is and the churches and the village, it's like night and day. When we got to the village, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and every single person we saw, man, woman, child was drunk. And Deritu started explaining to us that the only thing the Kachipo people really value is guns and alcohol. Just the oppression, the depression, the hopelessness, the difference between the people in the village and the people in the compound, you can see the difference the gospel is making. I mean, you can literally see it with your eyes. When we walked around the school, just the smiles, the joy, the eagerness to learn, the desire to grow, the kids at the school, they are the hope of salvation. Sudan. Let me just tell you one really amazing story from the experience that we had there. We arrived on Monday and we recorded Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And we decided on Friday we'd like to have a video shoot where we were going to try and shoot some music videos for a couple of songs. So we were expecting a group of about maybe 40 to 50 people, the same number we had been recording with. So Friday morning dawns and we're ready to go to work and we've only got about three people there. So we asked them where the others were and they begin to unfold this story to us. The night before Thursday evening, while we had been recording, the people in the village had heard a rumor that the government was coming to do disarmament. Now you've got to remember, the Kachipo people value their guns very dearly. It's how they measure their wealth. So when they heard this rumor that the government was coming, they fled their village and they left their kids there that we had been recording with. So these kids finish recording on Thursday night. They go home and no one is there. The village is empty. So Friday morning, two or three of them come back to let us know they're alone, their parents have fled, their siblings are gone, they haven't eaten anything. I mean, literally over the span of a couple of hours, their entire world had changed. So we talked in Deritu, and Deritu really encouraged us to go ahead with the video shoot. By this time, we had maybe 12, 15 people with us. So we climbed a hill to where we were going to do the shoot. So while we're up on this hill, we're recording. The kids are singing, jumping, doing their very best. But as we were recording the first song, we got some news. And there's a young girl in our group. Her name is Joyce. And Joyce received the news while we were there that her mother had fled and left her alone. She's a single child of a single mom. Deritu was explaining to us, once they leave the safety of their village, just the danger of the bush itself, they may never come back. So for these kids, they know the reality is they may never see their families again. And Joyce just got word her mom has left her. And so you could just see her countenance fall. We actually stopped recording. We brought Joyce out. We just surrounded her. We prayed over her. But you could see just the soberness hit all of the kids at that point. So we moved to the next location and we started recording the song, Blessed Be the Name. But you could just tell there was no breakthrough. After a few takes of recording Blessed Be Your Name, I actually called the shoot to a stop. I told the kids and everyone in our team, let's just take a few minutes and pray. Or as the Kachipo call it, let's say something to God. I cannot even begin to describe what happened in the moments that followed. These kids 
some as young as seven, up to about 20 years old, began to cry out to God in the most raw, passionate, unveiled desperation. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like this kind of cry to God. I mean, these kids started bawling, shouting, abandoned, unashamed, not worried about how they look, not worried about being surrounded by their peers, just so desperately calling on the name of Jesus. And so for about 45 minutes on that hillside, they prayed for themselves, they prayed for their country, they prayed for their families. It was so moving. It was so powerful. I mean, out there in the middle of absolutely nowhere, we knew we're touching heaven and changing earth. When we finished that time of prayer, when it came to a close, the atmosphere was radically different. There was just a lifting of that burden and we were so able to now flow and enjoy and have fun. That night we were able to cook them a huge meal. We gave them gifts of appreciation. We had a great time. So we left the next morning and we've come back to Nairobi with the sounds of the next generation of Sudan. Beautiful songs, beautiful praise and worship. What we've done is compiled them and put some music behind the sound of their voices. We haven't really edited their voices very much. We've kept it as true to them as possible, but we've just added some really inspirational and beautiful music in the background just to support their sound and their song. All of the finances that come in from these CD sales are going directly back to the Kachipo to support the work that's happening there. Now, we didn't realize actually how desperate this is. Deritu, Pastor Justawani, the entire team of teachers, they've actually had to be pulled out of Mayun due to the lack of finances. So now more than ever, we are passionate about seeing this project make a difference for the people, for the work that's being done there. So when you buy a CD, it's more than just getting beautiful music. You're sowing an eternal seed into the next generation of South Sudan. There are so many souls waiting. There are so many songs Africa has yet to write. There are so many sounds of worship that we have yet to capture and see every tribe, every tongue, every language standing before the throne. We must make sure that Africa is well represented. Amen. Amen. Probably none of those kids would still be alive if it had not been for the gospel of Jesus. They would have been killed by now. You know, the thief, the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give life. Amen. These, these kids have written songs. Would you like to hear one? Watch this.
And Pastor Tony's going to have the youth department singing like that in a couple weeks. And we'll bring Seriously, the, the, these kids, and, ju and just think, that church was built by the homeless people in Augusta, the bridge ministry, part of New Hope. A amen. And now we not only have a church there, we have a school there and a clinic there. And again, because of the giving of folks like you, I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to be so bold as to even ask you to sacrifice. We, we don't want to cut back. And yet I'm, I'm having now to prepare for the budget for our missions for next year. And we have folks that we're already obligated to and committed to. And I don't want to have to tell any of those folks, I'm sorry, we, we can't do as much this year. I really want us to do more. Because you, you're talking about a treasure. You're talking about laying up treasures. You're talking about an investment. Can you imagine the reward you're going to get when you get to heaven when you have helped reach people that are totally unreached before? We have a strong commitment to Brother George back here and to the work in India. And they planted several hundred churches up in Upper Pradesh in an area of India where there wasn't a Pentecostal message until a few years ago. Brother and Sister George fasted and prayed for nearly 15 years for God to open a door, make a way, and send somebody there. And little did they know that God would use them and others from this church and their friends and family there to reach that part of India. That's the part of India where most of the politicians come from. Brother George said to me several years ago, if we could impact that state, we could perhaps affect the future of the whole nation. And so we're very committed there. We have Ben Johnson who grew up right here in our church. He's been nearly 10 years now in Lebanon and uh, we're committed to him. And things, by the way, please pray for Lebanon. They've had an uprising and their leader has been overthrown, dethroned from power. And uh, things are really touchy there right now. It's a powder keg that could explode any moment. And uh, we just want to pray that God will protect Ben and his family and the church, the churches, uh, actually many churches that we have there now. Uh, and, and the great work that God's doing there. We have Michael Conway from this church that's in Columbia, South America. The same thing there. We, we just need to pray for these folks. The work of God's growing. And, uh, and we're committed all over the world. In, um, in Africa, we're committed to Brother Don Matheny. In fact, this year, um, through the, somebody in this church that felt like God wanted him to use his business to commit to missions, and he committed his business to plant a church a month in the rainforest. That's another area where people had never heard the gospel of Jesus. It's brand new. And, and come December, there'll be hopefully 12 new churches in the rainforest among people who heretofore had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to pray and ask the Lord what he'd have you do this year. You know, it's, it's not the great big gifts 
Although now if there's somebody here that God speaks to your heart and you want to give a great big gift, we'll receive it. But, but the, the strength of our missions giving through the years, as we planted now well over 2,000 churches on the mission field, the strength has been the consistent giving of our people. If you give $10 a week, that's $520 a year. If you give 20 a week, that's $1,040. We can plant a church most places in third world countries for, for your gift of $20 a week. If you can give $40, we can plant two churches um, that, a, a year. We have people in this church. Uh, I'm thinking of one dear sister that's not able to come to church now because of her health is so bad. And she's been living on Social Security for several years. She's already planted five churches on the mission field. She's making a sacrifice. But believe me, someday she's going to receive a great reward when she hears Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now let me make you ruler over many things. So I, I encourage you today, and I, I, I ask you to pray over it. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come quickly. And if, if you feel a need to pray today, I want you to come forward. If you want to come and give your heart to Jesus, there are people here that will be glad to talk with you and pray with you. If you want to come back to the Lord, whatever your needs might be, uh, we encourage you to come and, and they'll be glad to pray with you and pray for you. Um, physical needs, financial needs, whatever your needs might be. But I want a couple of the ushers to come and stand here close to the center. And they have what we call faith promise cards. These are not, these are, are not contractual kind of cards. They're not... Uh, uh, there's faith promises. In other words, you say when you write something on one of these that by faith I'm believing that God will provide and that I will be able to give this much this year. The reason we need you to tell us uh, what you're going to try to give is so that we can uh, project our budget and, and determine how much we're sending to the different areas that we support and how many new areas that we can reach into. And so we would appreciate it if you'd be willing to do that. I want you to, I want you to, if you're willing to give something, you just believe by faith that God will help you to give something on a regular basis this year, consistently on a regular basis. I want you to come and take one of these cards from these guys and uh, you can fill it out and drop it in the offering bucket as you leave. Or you may want to take it home with you and pray over it for this next week and talk it over with your companion and, and determine what you can give and bring it back next Sunday. Or you may want to take one of these cards and step over to one of these prayer teams and, and say, would you help me pray and just ask the Lord what he would have me give. I just encourage you to open your heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that when we respond as the Holy Spirit calls us to respond, that God will provide that and that the needs will be met. Amen. And I want to, I'm so excited about 2018. I believe that God is going to help New Hope to go to a whole nother level in our missions outreach. I believe we're going to be able to do more than we've ever done before. Jesus is coming soon, folks. What we're going to do for God, let's do it because now's the time. Amen. 
God bless you. Pastor Steve's going to lead us in a song, and let's sing together. You feel free. Come take one of these cards if you're willing. If you believe God will help you uh, in this next year, pray. If you want to talk to one of the prayer leaders, if you want to pray with any of God bless you as you respond.